Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Hi, and welcome to the podcast of the Asset Management and Investors Council of the International Capital Market Association. My name is Oliver Tinkler, Senior Director of ICMA and Head of Press and Communications. The Asset Management and Investors Council, or AMIC as we call it, is ICMA's dedicated forum representing the views of its buy-side members. AMIC members are asset managers, institutional investors, private banks, pension funds, and insurance companies, among others. And ICMA is one of the few trade associations globally that includes both buy-side and sell-side representation as part of its mission to promote well-functioning cross-border capital markets. Today, I'm very grateful to be joined again by Bob Parker, former chairman of AMIC and a senior advisor to ICMA, and also by Dr. Max Costelli, managing director, head of strategy and advice, global sovereign markets for UBS Asset Management. Max is also co-chair of the AMIC Executive Executive Committee. Gentlemen, thanks very much for joining me today. Now, we're recording this podcast ahead of the AMIC Forum in Zurich, which occurs on the 24th of November uh, this year, and which is our main kind of AMIC event of the year. Indeed, and if you'd like to attend the event, which is free of charge, I've provided some links in the podcast description which will take you through to the, the information and registration page. The title of the forum this year is Investing for the Longer Term Through Uncertain Markets. So, I mean, really over to Bob and Max, the, the global economy is being disrupted by inflation and higher interest rates. And this really looks set to continue from a macro perspective. What, what are your thoughts on the outlook for next year, including geopolitical tensions, and the continuing trend of globalization. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll head to you, Bob, first for your, for your opening comments. Um, I think let's start with two positives. Uh, the first positive is that, you know, whereas over a year ago, US and European inflation um, had peaked um, at approximately 10%, um, which was extremely high relative to, you know, the last 20, 30 years. Uh, now inflation, you know, has come down significantly. So, you know, if we look at Eurozone headline inflation, you know, it's now slightly less than 3%. Um, and, you know, the trend in inflation, at least I think for the next year, um, is that headline and core inflation uh, in Europe and the United States uh, will settle um, at around 3%. Um, so that's the good news. Um Linked into that good news is I think there is very clear evidence uh, that the major central banks um, have now stopped raising interest rates. There is still some uncertainty as to whether the Fed may raise rates one further time, but the significant tightening cycle in monetary policy that we have lived through um, for the last, last year and a half uh, is now coming to an end. And now investors are starting, um, I would argue, to be somewhat over-optimistic about when interest rates are going to be cut rather than when they will be increased. Um, I think the central case is that interest rates are probably on hold, um, at least for the next six months, if, if, if not longer. But the good news is inflation has come down. Interest rates are going to stop um, going up. Uh, the bad news is that clearly we have uh, major geopolitical tension at the moment. You know, we have the ongoing stalemate 
in the war in Ukraine. Uh, we have the conflict between Israel and Hamas, uh, and obviously escalation risk there. Um, if you look at the current opinion polls, um, investors have to think long and hard um, about the prospect of a second Trump presidency um, in starting in 2025. Um, and you know the tension between China and Taiwan uh, is ongoing, uh, and that will probably come to a head in one form or another uh, in the Taiwanese presidential um, election in January 2025. Um, so geopolitical tension is certainly a somewhat negative backdrop uh, for investors at the moment. Um, and Oliver, you mentioned uh, the reversal of globalization. Well, that very much is a is a long term trend, unfortunately. Uh, and if we do get a Trump presidency and the increase in import tariffs in the states, um, you know that clearly is going to accelerate that reversal of globalization. Now there are winners and losers in that, but the overall theme is a downtrend, which we're already seeing uh, in global trade. So. I've identified some positives, but also some negatives. Over to Max, perhaps. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure to be together and doing this. And uh, maybe, let me, first of all, I agree with your uh, comments on inflation. We actually see the same. Let me add maybe two remarks. One on growth, which is another uh, big uh, topic of debate, where basically the big question everybody's asking from both uh, an economic policy perspective and from an investment perspective, is whether the U.S. might escape a recession given the dramatic increase in interest rate that we saw over the last year and a half. I mean, the, the, the good news is that economic growth seems to be pretty resilient. In particular, I would like to point out the strengths of the U.S. labor market and also the fact that with inflation falling, the real income of individuals is get more protection. And this also promises well for an eventually continuation of a good, uh, good consumption level in the U.S. economy. Maybe the Europe is a little bit behind uh, the U.S. for sure in terms of growth. And uh, according to some, uh, we are starting to see some negative quarters uh, across Europe, but all, always taking a little bit more on the, the positive note. We should not forget where Europe is coming from in terms of the impact via energy price of the uh, Ukraine conflict, which in the end did not really translate into a recession across Europe as it was feared when this uh, event unfolded. In terms of uh, two additional remarks is that uh, for sure uh, we are seeing the higher for longer narrative about interest rate uh, becoming more consensus. It was not the case before. If I just like to remind that uh, just a few months ago, markets were expecting cuts pretty soon from the Fed and from over central banks. Definitely the time of the cuts has been moved forward. But what I find interesting, particularly looking at the last uh, one or two months, is uh, what happened in the long-term interest rates. We should not forget U.S. Treasury 10-year going close to or just touch 5% briefly. These are levels which we have not seen for a very long time. So this means that the long-term real interest rate is up significantly. And this is something, of course, which is being monitored very closely because uh, it could arm definitely, of course, uh, the real economy if this type of interest rate level will remain for a prolonged uh, period of time. In terms of geopolitics, uh, absolutely. Uh, in we live in a geopolitical volatile uh, environment, if I may use the terminology. 
But we should also put things into perspective. If you look at, for instance, at the conflict in the Middle East, the, the dramatic, of course, losses of life is something terrible. But if you look at the impact on markets so far, it's been relatively muted. Actually, oil prices are back where they were before the conflict, or not even, and even a little bit lower. Gold also came back a little bit. And the reason, of course, is that this uh, conflict, which is not new in that particular region, is not uh, broadening, is not expanding with the involvement, for instance, of uh, players like uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon or Iran, which, of course, uh, would change the game. On the US-China front, long-term trend, we know this is going to be the main future of geopolitical developments uh, going forward. But also let's look at uh, the fact that in the last uh, uh, few weeks, we had some, let's say, more positive sign of uh, an ongoing dialogue between uh, China and the U.S. But of course, uh, the whole eyes are on uh, US, uh, upcoming U.S. presidential election. This is a risk factor now as it is perceived by many investors in the sense that uh, a second win by Trump could create uh, more political volatility within the U.S., and this, of course, is a source of concern for many investors. Final point on geopolitics, because geopolitics can be seen from two perspectives. From a more short-term perspective, rising geopolitical volatility, as we know, impact global market. And normally, the main channel is via commodity price or via the US dollar. When, of course, everybody is fear geopolitical events, they tend to fly to the dollar as a safe haven. A long term, of course, the whole question is, uh, I believe, from a geopolitical perspective, is what type of regime we're moving in. One could see the recent Israeli-Palestinian conflict as just another episode of this sort of new unstable international political environment. To be honest, it's difficult to be optimistic on that level. And this is uh, something that we don't think will change anytime soon. So we should get used to live with higher geopolitical volatility going forward. Thanks very much, Max. And, and and I think you've covered the developed markets very kind of thoroughly there. Uh, you mentioned China in in one of your in one of your comments, and I wanted to kind of broaden out the discussion to Asia Pacific and maybe kind of outside of China. What do you see as the main, I suppose, kind of stumbling blocks to uh, a positive outlook, and and or you know, conversely, what are what are the bright spots that you see in that region? Um, I think. Let's just make a few comments on China before you know Max and I broaden out the discussion to other areas of uh, Asia Pacific. Um, you know the Chinese economy um, clearly is struggling, despite the fact that um, the IMF has just upgraded its forecast for Chinese growth uh, for next year to uh, you know above five percent. Um, and that's in response to the easing in monetary and fiscal policy in China. But, you know, China, when I say the Chinese economy is struggling, um, it's not the sort of the post-COVID problem. Um, it's more fundamental problems of dealing with the real estate market. And uh, the real estate market has been depressed for some time. There have been some very significant defaults amongst real estate developers. Um, and although the real estate market is now forming a base, uh, the prospect for recovery is going to be very slow. That's problem number one. Linked into that um, is the high level of debt amongst the local and regional governments in China. Um, and that's why the Chinese authorities are actually trying to address that problem of over-indebtedness by uh, transferring debt 
uh, and debt management to central government away from local government. Uh, and then, as we've seen recently with the last set of inflation numbers, in contrast to the inflation problem that we have lived through in Europe and the States, uh, China has deflation. And, you know, the latest consumer price numbers are negative year on year. Now, I think China is going to recover. I think it is dealing with its uh, its challenges. But those challenges are reflected at the time of this uh, of us doing recording of this podcast. Um, you know, the Shanghai Composite Index has underperformed the S&P 500 year to date uh, by around 16 percent. And, you know, capital flows uh, have been negative for Chinese capital markets. So that has been a big challenge uh, in global capital markets, which is that lack of flow of money into China. Um, moving away from China, um, and you know, and I'll pass on to Max in a moment, but I would just highlight that whereas in uh, Europe and the States, central banks are ending their policies of tightening uh, interest rates and tightening monetary policy. Uh, in contrast, the Bank of Japan is just starting to tighten policy. We've seen that more recently. Uh, with its change in strategy on yield curve control and allowing 10-year Japanese government bond yields to rise uh, through 1%. So we've got that tightening process there that after you know, a long period of easy monetary policy. Um, Bank of Japan is very cognizant um, of um, the danger of tightening policy too quickly, because if we look at China, look at Japanese retail investors, Japanese institutional investors, they are amongst the largest pool of investment funds worldwide. So, you know, if we had any disruption or volatility in that pool of capital, that would obviously have serious implications for global capital markets. So big changes um, in Japan, China dealing with those challenges, I would argue they're starting to deal with those challenges much more effectively. But let me pass on to Max to, to look elsewhere in Asia, please. Thanks, Bob. Uh, let me start from the emerging market universe. Uh, I mean, uh, we just I just released a paper which we co-authored with our fixed income colleagues, making the case for emerging market debt in hard currency. If you look at expected return in the softish lending scenario over the next few years, uh, we are talking about return which are pretty uh, good and high, of course, uh, reflecting uh, the level of yields that we are in. However, this story is also about the resilience of emerging market. We should not forget that the emerging market over the last two years, they went through two major shocks. First of all, it's been the dramatic increase in rates. And the second one is the rise in the dollar. I remember in 2012, when we were talking about taper tantrum, it was just enough to talk about rising interest rate that we saw a massive outflow of capital from emerging markets. This time around, instead, emerging markets have been pretty resilient. Of course, there are big differences across emerging markets, with some doing better than others. But overall, it showed that the emerging markets are no longer one big block of countries with high volatility, but they are very different countries. Some of them have a macroeconomic fundamental, and I'm referring, for instance, to the fight of inflation. I'm referring to the level of debt, which in some cases are also better than those of some advanced economy. 
So there is definitely a story about the emerging market, which of course is still uh, surrounded by the uncertainty on the US interest rate. But so far, I would like to flesh that out. Let me move down to China. Here in China, there are short-term and long-term considerations. Short-term point of view and the IMF recent increase in uh, growth for 2024 points to the fact that probably China has bottomed up, out in the sense that we touched the bottom. And uh, I'm not talking from a cyclical perspective. And actually, this is also very interesting because uh, based on my conversation with institutional clients around the world, we are starting to see uh, a renewed interest into getting exposure to Chinese assets, which is something that uh, for most of the year we have not seen, of course, given the fragility of the real estate sector and the lower than expected recovery in, the, in terms of growth. However, long-term, is definitely uh, there are uh, factors which are pointing to the, to the fundamental question, what is the growth potential of China over the next five or 10 years? So we were all expecting, and I think there is consensus here, that the growth rate is falling. There are different factors at play, demographics, slowing in catching up, et cetera. But uh, overall, uh, we start to see some effect of that uh, of this uh, of this concern uh, over the long term. Just to make an example, recent data on FDI in China pointed to a clear. If I don't want, I don't want to abuse the word decoupling, but definitely many many international corporations have reduced foreign direct investment into China, and they maybe favor other countries like Vietnam or uh, Mexico. Final point about Japan is a very, very nice, a very good point, the one posed by uh, Bob about the capital pool there, which is huge. We should not forget Japan has been pouring capital into global market searching for yield. And what would happen, of course, if the yield in Japan start going up, which is something that uh, is uh, realistic in 2024, we might see some of this capital being pulled out from global market and being repatriated because simply there is return to be made in the country. And we, I, and we know that uh, this capital is large and uh, we might see eventually some dislocation there, particularly on the fixed income side, think about the liquidity risk, which we might incur if one of the big deployer of capital globally has started uh, weakening. Thank you very much for that, Max. Uh, I mean, Thinking about emerging markets and this kind of global picture uh, in, in totality and the, the forum's theme of investing for the longer term through uncertain markets, putting a slightly kind of contrarian hat on, do you think there's anything in 2024 and beyond that, that might surprise us, either on the upside or, or, or the downside? Um, well, let's focus on the uh, the consensus at the moment, and you know the the I think sort of three or four themes on what the consensus is, and then one can look at what can surprise against that consensus. And you know the consensus is that twenty twenty four in Europe and America is going to be a year of low growth, and to quantify that, you know the. IMF is forecasting US growth at 1.5%. It's forecasting Eurozone growth at 1.2%. Um, you know, Japanese growth at, at 1%. Um, 
And although it's upgraded, um, you know, Chinese growth, the overall picture is one of subdued, subdued growth. And I think that is a, you know, a very clear consensus opinion amongst investors and, and in capital markets. I think the second consensus is that inflation will come down, um, but it's going to be uh, it, it's not going to go to 2% or less, um, i.e. it's not going to achieve central bank targets, and it's going to stall um, at around 3% in Europe and the States. Um, and that is obviously going to be a source of frustration for central banks that inflation will still be above their targets for some period of time. Um, I think the sort of the third element of the consensus is that commodity prices are probably going to just sort of drift sideways. Um, nobody is really expecting a major jump in, in energy prices. Um, and then I think also linked into the consensus um, is that geopolitical risks, which we have touched on, um, are going to be sort of challenging and difficult and sort of particularly um, investors are worrying about sort of China, Taiwan, about uh, a Trump presidency, um, you know, the situation in the Middle East and in uh, Russia, Ukraine. All of those situations come with a high degree of uh, uncertainty. Um, and that in turn implies that investors um, are going to be rather defensive and, and rather cautious. So I think we have a fairly clear picture of caution and defensiveness uh, for, um, you know, how investors are looking at 2024, you know, at the end of 2023. So, you know, where can that consensus be wrong? Well, it can be wrong. Um, I think on the positive, it could be wrong that growth surprises, as it has done, and Max referred to this, and particularly in America, uh, the growth surprises positively. And rather than sort of one to one and a half percent growth in the States, we get you know, closer to 2% growth again. Um, and, you know, that is entirely possible. Um, and, you know, what we've seen so far is actually American consumers and American corporates have been resilient to the rise in interest rates. Now, there's a case saying that, uh, you know, that resilience is coming to an end. But I think it's fair to say that investors were surprised uh, positively by American growth. Uh, in 2023, and that surprise positively uh, could continue. Um, one factor behind that um, is that energy prices, and more recently energy prices have come down again, um, is that, um, you know, in low energy prices are supportive for growth, as would be um, any cuts in interest rates by the Federal Reserve um, or the European central banks, at least going into uh, the second half of next year. Um, on the negative side, obviously, we might get more geopolitical shocks. Um, and, you know, we can't, we haven't talked about Europe, but in Europe, let's not forget that, uh, you know, we have uh, a number of governments uh, where uh, either there are going to be elections or where coalition governments are fragile. Um, and you know, more recently, for example, we have had you know, a number of indicators suggesting that the German coalition uh, is vulnerable. So it's not just uh, geopolitics outside Europe. We have to look at, um, at Europe as well. And you know, we will also have a UK election. So geopolitics, I think, is going to continue to be a factor. Um, you know, the other 
negatives are obviously that central banks can make mistakes. Uh, they may keep interest rates too high for too long. Um, and that obviously has implications for lower growth. So that's how I would sort of summarize the sort of the positives and potential negatives around that consensus outlook. But but Max, you probably want to add to that, please. Very good summary, Bob. Uh, let me add uh, and elaborate on uh, the one you mentioned. First of all, on the upside, the uh, growth surprise. Let me add uh, as well the impact of uh, artificial intelligence and the whole debate about whether this big, uh, move, this big jump in uh, technology can eventually be make the current cycle, the positive cycle of growth, uh, more sustainable. And uh, this is, there is a debate going on on there, and I think but we could be surprised there on the upside. The second one on the surprise, I think, is also about China. I already mentioned it. We might be surprised by China as we move into 2024 in terms of recovery, also because eventually the real estate sector uh, problems will start to dissipate, and secondly, because of more policy action from the government to support the Chinese economy. So mm. we might be surprised that China actually does a little bit better than what maybe the consensus is. In terms of uh, uh, the negative, I mean, uh, Bob already mentioned the fact that the consensus is that there will not be a deep recession in the US, History is against this argument with, this, with the amount of increasing rates and the speed with which rate increase, it, it, the, the US economy historically has not escaped a recession. However, things have changed. We, are in a, we know that we come from a, an anomaly, of course, dictated by the impact of COVID, but definitely it could be that if this consensus is broken and we have a recession in the US, we might see the impact across market. Uh, more substantial. Maybe another two factors that I would like to mention. One is about the US dollar. The US dollar has been the champion over all this period of volatility. There, I remember that already years after years, the many analysts call for a reversal of this trend and the starting of a weakening of the US dollar. You can be wrong one year, two years, three years, but eventually you will be right. But uh, this is something to watch because uh, even, for instance, a dollar eventually weakening could be also beneficial for global growth, particularly for emerging markets. That's something also to, to keep in mind that now that the interest rate around the world have come up and the gap with the US has shrinked. Final point, financial stability issues. As AMIC, we're also very much focused on that topic. You remember in March, uh, US mid-sized bank problem in Switzerland. In the end, the, this, uh, it looks like this uh, problem has in some way been, uh, has not expanded or has not resurfaced in the, in the following months. But of course, we need to see what is the full impact of higher interest rate across the financial sector. So yeah. that's something also to monitor, something that actually dynamic we monitor very closely because, of course, as asset manager, we are very much a, a part of, that, uh, of, that, uh, of the financial sector in that part. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, Max. And thank you very much, Bob. And I, th I think, you know, we've provided now a little teaser of what you can expect at the, the AMIC Forum in Zurich on the, on the 24th. So um, I'd like to thank, well, many thanks to you both for joining today's podcast. Um, and, and indeed, again, thanks to Bob and Max for the fascinating insights on all things geopolitics, markets and asset classes. 
Again, uh, we'd look to cover these topics and many more at the AMIC Forum in Zurich on the 24th of November. So please click on the links in the description to this podcast to learn more and, and to register. Our next AMIC podcast covering the markets, I believe, will be in early January 2024. And ahead of that, if you'd like to contribute any questions for our guests to tackle in particular, please do get in touch with AMIC via email. Again, in the description for this uh, this podcast, but I'll give it out now. It's uh, amic, A-M-I-C, at icmagroup.org. And additional contact information is also in the description of the podcast. But until next time, Bob, Max, thank you very much indeed. See you soon. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org.